listening to a podcast of Elam Lutheran Church in Osakis, Minnesota. Our passion is to be an oasis of life-giving water where lost and wandering souls can find eternal refreshment. For more information and to find out more about our ministries, please visit osakiselamchurch.com. Or if you're in the area, come visit us in person. Well, if you've been with us for a while, or even if you're just joining us, we are in the midst of a series here called Missionaries. The main idea, the big idea of this series, which we've started at the beginning of summer and we're going to continue throughout August, is very simple. I am God's missionary. Can you say that with me? I am God's missionary. And as we've been walking through this series, it's been a bit of a hodgepodge, picking out different passages here and there and learning different concepts. But one of the big things that we've, that we've learned is that we serve a missionary God. And that is to say, we serve a God who sends. We are people who are sent by God into the world to bring the good news that He is in the process of redeeming and restoring His broken creation, right? And not only is, is mission just something that we do as if it's like a, another program alongside of uh, Sunshine Club, and then we've got Vacation Bible School, and we've got the women's ministry, and then we do missions here. No, mission is part of who we are. It's part of our DNA. It has been here at Elam since the very beginning, and interestingly enough, mission is part of the DNA of the God that we serve, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Father sends the Son into the world. The Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. The Holy Spirit is then sent upon believers, poured out upon them at Pentecost, and believers, we as God's church, as His disciples, are sent out into the world to make other disciples, right? We talked about the Great Commission uh, a few weeks ago as being sort of the, the central theme of, of what it means to be a missionary for, for God. And so Genesis through Revelation, the entire Bible displays a missionary God who is at work to redeem and restore His lost and broken creation. It starts at the very beginning, right in Genesis 3. We've got Adam and Eve. They, they eat the fruit, they break the world, and as a result of that, sin enters our world. But no sooner does sin enter our world than God is already making provision for that. God is already making a way to fix the sin problem. Right in Genesis 3, we see this prophecy that the seed of Eve, which is a, an Old Testament way of speaking about Jesus, would crush the head of the serpent, would crush the head of Satan, who is the author of evil and everything horrible and dark and wrong in this world today. And today we're going to talk, we're going to zoom in on one particular concept the kingdom of God. To do that, I'm going to turn to the gospel of Mark, and you can rise as we read this today. It's just two short verses from the gospel of Mark, verses 14 and 15. It goes like this. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe 
the good news. Heavenly Father, in Jesus, the kingdom of God has come near to us. I pray that you would help us to see that reality and the implications of that, God, as we serve as your missionaries to those around us. God, would you open our eyes and ears and hearts to see and to hear you, not as we would have you, but as you are. Peel back the layers of our self-deceptive, calloused consciences to reveal our desperate need for you. And then would you once again point us toward the solution, who is your son, Jesus Christ. God, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. I have a bit of a confession to make. I was a weird kid in elementary school. I'm not saying I'm not weird now. I'm saying that was true then for sure. I loved to take tests. Isn't that weird? Is anybody else here? Is, is there, are there other of you who say like, I love taking tests? Yeah? Okay. I don't know. Okay, good. There's a couple of us. I'm, I'm not alone. Weird people anonymous or something. Um, I loved taking tests. I, I don't know what it was about it. It just seemed so clear to me. Like we spent all this time studying this material. Look at I get the chance to, to, to share the, with the world how I know that I now know this material. Um, but there was one particular type of test that I really did not like or that, that really kind of you know, made me sweat and gave me anxiety. And, and this was a timed test. Most tests uh, that I took uh, were timed. And you can probably remember, if you can recall back to your high school days, I mean, some of you are still in school right now, sitting in that classroom and watching the teacher as they walk up to that board and they write, what? They write like one hour, begin. And then the clock starts and you're going and you're going. And every five, ten minutes, you're like looking up at that, at that clock and trying to pace yourself and like, okay, am I, am I going at a rate that I need to to, to get done here? And then all of a sudden they, she wipes it off and it's like 30 minutes left and then 20 and then, then 15 and, and then 10 and 5. And at that point, man, talk about like giving you a, a panic attack every two minutes as a high school kid. Like you hear, the, you hear those dreaded words finally. Pencils down, right? Pencils down. Time's up. That's what Jesus is saying to his disciples in our text today, when he says the kingdom of God is here, it has arrived, it is among you, time's up, I am now on the scene. Now, as we make our way through this message this morning, I want to offer you just one question to, to kind of consider and keep at the back of your mind. What is Jesus up to in your life? And hopefully your reaction is different than this picture. What is Jesus up to in your life? How might you respond to that question? How do you think others might respond to that question? Do we even think about that question? It's the question behind the question. Because the way that we answer that reveals what we believe about the kingdom of God. 
and about the way that Jesus is or is not active and alive and well and moving among us. So just bear that in mind as we walk through this morning. I want to just zoom in on verse 15 from this, these two verses in Mark chapter 1, verse, verse 15, that the kingdom of God is at the core and it's at the central, at the, the central part of, of what the message of Jesus is all about. So we're talk, when we're talking about kingdom of God, like we are just barely skimming the surface here. You'll see it all over the place. When Jesus tells his parables, uh, he'll say the kingdom of God is like, the kingdom of God is like this. And he'll paint another brush stroke on that, that broad landscape. So all we're getting is kind of glimpses and glimmers of this kingdom. But on, in verse 15, he says, the kingdom of God has come near. The time has come. Now, we've heard this so many times, we kind of get numb to it. But what's important to note about those particular verbs is that they were chosen deliberately. The way that this plays out in the original Greek is that not only has the time come, but it is present here and now. It's not just a, a once and done kind of thing. It means Jesus' kingdom is here in Him, and it has arrived, but it is, it is still arriving. It is in the process of arriving. It is in the process of coming each and every day. Jesus says, I'm here, and so is my kingdom. Here's the point. Jesus is already at work in the lives of those around us. It's kind of the main point, if you could take away one from this morning. Jesus is already at work in the lives of those around us. Because if we truly believe that God's kingdom is here, and we believe that Jesus came to inaugurate that kingdom, that means that that kingdom is already here and now. There is a present tense aspect to this. And that is really, really good news. There's a book that Kirk referenced a couple of Sundays ago. It's called Joining Jesus on His Mission by an author by the name of, of Greg Finke. I actually got the chance to interview him on a podcast that we did. He's a fascinating gentleman. But he wrote this book, and here's a, a quote from that that I think he, he hits it right on the nose, what I'm trying to, to drive at here. He says, Ever since he broke out of the tomb on Easter Sunday, Jesus has been on the loose pursuing His redemptive mission, ripening people, I love that phrase, ripening people, preparing people to be drawn back to the Father He loves. You see, God's kingdom is not just a future hope, but a present reality. God's kingdom is not just a future hope, but a present reality. In the Lord's Prayer, we have this, this line. You can go to the next slide, Stan. In the Lord's Prayer, we have this line. We pray, thy kingdom come, right? So we know that there is a, a very real sense in which we are awaiting the fullness, the culmination, the arrival of, of God's kingdom. And yet, as we see here and throughout the Gospels, there is also a sense in which God's kingdom is already here. 
There's this already but not yet kind of a, a tension going on. But what does that mean for us as missionaries? Well, it means we are not the first ones on the scene. It means that when we, we interact with our friends, our coworkers, the people at the gym, the people at school, it means that we're not breaking new ground there necessarily. God is already present and at work in the lives and the hearts of those around us. The only question is, do you believe it? Do you really believe that God is actually up to something? You can go to the next slide, Stan. Um, we're all farmer types. Here. Not all of us, I guess. We're in a farming community, I should say. So let's take an analogy from, from farming. If we believe that, that God's kingdom is coming and has come in the person and work of, of Jesus... And that Jesus is, in fact, ripening people for His kingdom. Let's think for a moment about what it takes for a crop to ripen, okay? I'm going to get this wrong, and some of you farmers will, like, I don't know, take my lunch money afterwards or something. I'm just doing my best here. I'm just a layman, okay? So don't go out and, and plant a field based on what I'm about to say. You just think of all the steps that have to happen in order for the harvest to occur. It's many different ones, right? First of all, you have to get out into the field. You have to loosen the soil. You have to prepare it. You have to till it up. Maybe you get out your, your harrow or your, your disc, and you, you have to, 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 mix, to mix, it, mix it up. Sometimes you put in uh, fertilizer, right? You want to prepare the soil. You till it, and you, you get it ready. Then you have to plant the seeds. So if you're planting corn, you put corn in, soybeans, uh, alfalfa, whatever it is, usually you're planting them in rows, right? So you, you, plant, you plant the seeds. And then after the seeds are planted, you have, to, you have to monitor continually, right? You monitor maybe the soil moisture content. Or maybe today you have so much technology, you farmers out there, you just press the button like grow and then with your GPS, with your... I don't know how it all works. Then you hit harvest when fall comes. Um, that would be nice. Um, it's growing, and, and we, can't, we, can't, we can't see it. But you have to monitor it. You have to, be, you have to watch it continually. And, and if there's too much water, you have maybe some drain tile. You need to uh, add water. You, you water it. Um, you put herbicides on it, pesticides, fungicides, as needed. Sometimes, I don't know if you do it around here, but... Sometimes you'll, you'll go through and you'll cultivate between the rows to pull the weeds out. So all of this, this careful preparation that goes on for months and months and months until finally harvest season. The harvest arrives and the fruit is ripe. The corn is, is ripe. Now, God is doing that in the hearts and lives of people around us all the time. Now, we can't always see it. The thing about a cornfield is you can drive by and you can sort of get an idea of, okay, it's, it's doing well this year. You know, we've had, some, we had enough rain or the color looks dry and it, it might not be a, a great year. We can observe it. We can see it. It's very tangible. It's, it's obvious and it's clear. 
But with people's hearts, that's not the case, right? I don't have a spiritual camera where I can take a snapshot of each and every one of you and each and every person on the street to see where God is at in their lives, where they are at in that process. Are they at the, the planting process? Are they, are they just rough ground, a, a hard heart that's not even open or, or receptive to the message at this point? Um, are they, you know, knee-high, 4th of July kind of thing where they're, they're getting up there? Are they, you know, fully mature and fully ripened? You see, unlike cornfields, God's kingdom is invisible. We can't see it or how far it has progressed. And it takes a lot of discernment because the reality is that not everyone is ready for the harvest, are they? We all love harvest time. Harvest is like an exciting time of, of the year. I imagine in a, in a community like this, and in a community that I grew up in as well, it was uh, really exciting, right? Like you'd invite the neighbors over, and everybody would help everyone else with the, with the harvest to bring in the crops, and there were harvest festivals. And so, of course, we all want to be there to see the harvest, but not all of us are going to be because all of us are going to be helping along at different parts of that crop cycle, right? I mean, what happens, for example, if you take your combine to your cornfield on the 4th of July? Nothing good, probably, right? That corn is not ready. In fact, you're going to do a lot of damage. You're going to ruin your crop. You're going to ruin your, your profits and any chance that that corn may have had for life by taking that combine to it too early, and in the same way, if we get out our Jesus combine and bowl people over every time an opportunity arises, we're not going to make much progress. In fact, we can even do some damage. And in fact, such an approach reveals that we don't always believe Jesus is actually bringing his kingdom. It reveals that we feel sometimes we need to give it, you know, that, that extra little push. You know, come on, God, it, it, it's taken long enough here. Like, I need to give it an extra, I need to bring it about myself. But you see, being a missionary means playing the long game when it comes to people in relationships, much like a patient farmer. There's a missionary, I think he was in, in India, William Carey, I believe, is the name that comes to mind. I'm not sure exactly, but when he was overseas, it took him like over a decade before he got his very first convert, before the first person came to, to faith in Jesus Christ. He played the long game. You see, that's, that's what it takes. Not always. Sometimes they're, they're ready and they're ripe, right? But that takes a lot of wisdom and discernment on our part to kind of know them enough to, to be able to make that call. I had a friend at a previous church that I served. They came to church one Sunday, just showed up out of the blue, he and his wife, very uh, intelligent people. Both had their PhDs, a, a couple. The husband had, had grown up in a, in a Christian environment, in a Christian home, but he'd since walked away from his, his faith. It was kind of totally out of the blue. And you could tell as, as we got to know them a little bit, we had conversations and we went out to eat with them and and built up that friendship a, a little bit, you could tell that they're, they're not particularly uh, 
open like that. They're not there yet, right? And so we kind of took it, took it slow, and, but they, they kept coming back for church. And I couldn't quite figure this out because it was like, well, I know they don't fully believe, but they're, they're coming back. And so at one point I, I got where I, I approached him and I, and I asked him, I said, you know, you've been coming to church for, for months now and, you know, I, I'm just, I'd be curious to hear from you. You've been hearing this message of the gospel. Um, where are you at? Do you find yourself believing that Jesus died and rose again to save you from your sins? And he was like, well, I'm not there yet. I'm not there. But what does keep me coming back is the message of unconditional love, grace, and forgiveness. And I was like, okay, I think God can work with that. And little by little, I, I got to know him, and God orchestrated things in a, in a really special kind of way. When I would do my sermon prep, I would go to a, a coffee shop I like to be around people when I, when I write my sermons, typically. And on this particular day, the coffee shop was, was full. And this gentleman, this friend of mine, a terrible tragedy had just happened in his life. I didn't know it at the time. But he drove by the church and he thought, well, I, I don't want to disturb, I don't want to bother the pastor. By the way, if you ever drive by the church and say, I don't want to bother the pastor, please come inside and bother the pastor because I like to talk to you. I, 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 I love having things to break up my day. He said, I don't want to bother the pastor. So what he did is he drove to this coffee shop. Never been there before. He never set foot in it. He walked in just hurting, grieving, saddened, not knowing what he was going to find, not I don't know that he even knew why he was going there. And he looks around, whole place is full except for one chair right across from me. Wow. So God brought him there and we talked and, and we prayed. Had the chance to pray for him and for his family. And, and little by little, I've, they, they have this, this husband and wife, they've continued to go to church. They've continued to be taught and fed by mentors. Their, their kids are actively involved in the church ministry. And it's been amazing to see the way that, that God has grown that. And I'm going to read you a brief quote that he told me. He sent me the, this message not too long ago. He said, I just wanted to let you know that you planted a church right here in our family. Now, why would I tell you this story? To show you how awesome Pastor Luke is? No. It's to show you how great God is. He was already on the scene, right? He was already at work, preparing hearts. My job was not to ask, how can I, can I bring this person the whole way to, to God? My, my, my only job was to ask, okay, God, what's the next step? What's the next step? What do they need next? And then respond in obedience. And by the way, just a, a general observation here. I think most of you will, will resonate with this. But 
It bears saying people are more likely to respond well when they don't feel like there are pet projects but objects of our unconditional love, right? People would rather be objects of love than projects to complete. That's what unconditional love means. It means I love this person for better or for worse, regardless of what they do, regardless even of whether or not they come to faith. I am committed to this person. Always, of course, hoping and praying and seeking to bring them there. But my love for them is not conditioned upon that. It's not dependent upon that. play the long game, and, and that's how God, in fact, treats us. He loved us so much that He sent His only Son to die for us, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. And He plays the long game. Second Peter 3, 8 through 9 tells us, with the Lord a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise. Instead, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Man, I don't know about you, but I can be pretty stubborn sometimes. Each and every day, Jesus' call to repent and believe the gospel hits me like a ton of bricks. I need to hear it every day because I forget it every day. And even if I do remember it and I can recite the words by heart, my actions indicate how fragile and prone to doubt I am. In Christian language, we call that being a sinner. It's a label that applies to each and every one of you, too. We're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. There's a huge distinction there. And the wages of sin, as Paul tells us, is death. But thank God that He has made provision for that through the atoning death and resurrection of His Son, Jesus Christ, who came to rescue us. His kingdom is here. Jesus is already on the loose, always working to restore His broken creation. And He invites us each and every day to repent and believe and to join Him as His missionaries. So the next time I come up to you after the service and ask you, so, what's Jesus up to in your life? My prayer is that you would have an answer. As C.S. Lewis said, Aslan is on the move. So may God give us the eyes to see Him and hearts that are restless for our neighbors to know Him. Hey friends, Pastor Luke here. Thanks so much for tuning in. I trust that you've been blessed by our message from God's Word today. Hey, we'd love to connect with you more. If you have comments or questions, you can email me directly at pastorchellog at gmail.com. That's pastor K-J-O-L-H-A-U-G at gmail.com. As we wrap up our time together today, please receive this benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you 
and give you his peace. Amen.